You know, ideally, the ideal situation would be that when anyone enters into the pulpit, whoever the individual is, you get none of them in the communication. You get only the Word of God. And any, any pastor worth his salt would prefer that would happen. But any pastor who's honest will also tell you, you get the pastor where they're at. And they're just a broken vessel through which um, whatever it is God would say, they hopefully are, are, are being utilized in that way. Well, I had to be honest with the Wednesday night Bible study that I've been Tuesday morning. It seemed like a fog settled over me, and I couldn't really quite get focused on things as I might like. And uh, so rather than try and pretend like I'm faking them out that, uh, hey, I'm really good at leading Bible study, I just got some white cake and said, here, we're having a pre-wedding cake uh, time here, all right? Because this is what has taken over my thinking. And um, this morning, I'm in the same place, is that we will leave immediately after this service. So if I don't linger to visit, will you please give me the grace that we're trying to get out of here as make as much distance as we can this afternoon yet. And we're about, I'd say, 90% packed. Just throw those last things in. So with your permission, um, I will be leaving rather, rather quickly. Um, I'm, you see me working with my phone because... Um, there's a note from my daughter. I think I've mentioned to you every morning, every Sunday morning, we send each other an encouragement in our service to the Lord. And, and she said, good morning, S1. Today is the big day. Preach good for Jesus and tell all my Minnesota friends I said hello and I love them and that next time I come home, my husband will be with me. So uh, I'm sending you greetings from her and she is truly very, very excited but why do I bother going through that? Not just to say, hey, we're leaving, we're leaving for a, a wedding. It's just that as I've been going through this week and I realize that what's in front of me is impacting me uh, presently. It's not like it's, I, I can see it's not waiting until just that day. It's impacting me right now. And that actually challenged, not challenged me, but gave me a thought on the scripture we're going to be in today. And had I not been looking at a wedding, I would um, have approached this entirely differently. That's why I say you get, you get the preacher wherever they're at. Okay. Daniel chapter 9 is our, is our uh, book for today. And verse 26, uh, just a snippet of the verse actually, is our, our memory verse for today. Um, but I want to give some context to it. So just listen, just listen, and hear how Daniel's uh, received this revelation. Now, while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God, for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, by the way, Daniel is away in, uh, in the Babylonian captivity at this point. Uh, he was carried away uh, as one of those carried off by Nebuchadnezzar. The man Gabriel, whom I had seen in a vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Now, Daniel had asked a question about how long well, what, how long exactly is this going to hang on here, Lord? What exactly are you doing time frame-wise? Notice how his question is now addressed. Verse 24 says, Seventy weeks are determined for your people, 
and for your holy city, 70 weeks, to finish the transgressions, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. (coughs) Excuse me. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Seven and 62. Are you with me? The street shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, because there were seven and two, remember, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. That is our memory verse. Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. I just want you to remember that in the book of Daniel. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. Now, for those of you who spend any time studying eschatology or the end times, you're aware that this is a very critical passage to understand. So, when I first came to this passage, prior to the fog of this wedding affecting me and emotionally, when I came to this passage, it's like, somehow we have to clarify how... How this relates to Christ, who is the Messiah who shall be cut off. And we were going to be sharing the Lord's table, so it was going to fit here perfectly. And in that, you'll notice, if you've followed, I tried to note it in the way I read it. Guy says, the, uh, Gabriel said, there'll be 70 weeks. And the 70 weeks breaks down to a time frame of 7 plus 62 plus 1. Do the math. That adds up to 70 weeks. And this particular event, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself, is after the 62 weeks. So Daniel is laying out this time frame by which we can know when Christ is going to be killed. So it's like, yeah, so we study this, so we put it all together, we, we name dates and all sorts of things like this. But it is a critical scripture to understand and one of the things that is left out there is where's that 70th week, that last one week? How do we understand that? Okay, so that's just what people who study eschatology, what they do with this. And I figured somehow we've got to touch on all of that until the fog set in on Tuesday. And I realized that the emotions of this coming Friday were beginning to impact me in a way I wasn't expecting on Tuesday. Just anticipating this Friday coming. And that got me thinking. What does it mean when it says Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself? We know from the book of Isaiah, here's how another prophet spoke of that. Surely he has borne our griefs, Isaiah 53, famous passage, and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. Remember, he was cut off, but not for himself. For, for who? For our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was cut off, but not for himself. For who? Isaiah says, for us. And he went through this torturous crucifixion for us, for our iniquities, that we might be saved. The, um, the magnificent music that uh, Evan chose this morning that prepared our hearts for the Lord's table, but the one, uh, the one phrase in there was that, that he would and reconcile the very ones who nailed him to that tree. That's what we're going to be remembering here. So why do I relate this to my own emotional roller coaster right now? Very simply this. Have you ever asked this question? I have never asked this question. I've never heard anybody ask this question. When, in his humanity, as Jesus was growing up, when did he come to understand, one, of course, that he is the Messiah, but two, because he would have studied these as a young boy. When did he come to understand this was written about him? I had never considered that. Never thought about it. You're familiar with the scene where uh, they'd been there for the Passover. He left with his family. He's 12 years old. And they, they would travel in a large crowd, and they thought he was somewhere else in the crowd, realize he's not. They go back, and they find him discussing with all the religious leaders, discussing the Scriptures. Was it there it was beginning to dawn on him as a 12-year-old? As he was asking questions about the Scriptures and trying to, trying to lay hold of his own personal identity, is that when? How did it affect him to read Messiah was cut off? To read he was bruised for our inequities, wounded for our transgressions. Never had that question before. When did, it, when did it hit him? Now, and, and what was the impact on him when it did? Because we, we know where it crescendos to, do we not? We absolutely know where it crescendos to. We know where it reaches its peak when he's in the garden. By then, he f- is fully aware as to what is about to happen. He is fully aware that he is the Messiah and that he now will reconcile the ones who nail him to the tree. That before 24 hours are up, he will die an excruciating, torturous death. How do we know he's aware of that? We're aware that, as Luke says, he, he, as he prayed, he wept and sweated great drops of blood. The stress on him was so great as to what he was about to undergo on our behalf. So where through the years was this developing and him understanding? And how did these things hit him? See I, read, see, I read Daniel chapter 9, and I wanted to figure out how to put it in a time frame so I can get my eschatology lined up right. But he would read it and know this is what he will suffer. And it just made me ask a question. I have no answer. Is it okay to just ask a question? 
What about when he weeps over Jerusalem? And said, I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chickens, but you would not. In that weeping, I always saw the sadness that he had for Jerusalem and the destruction and the judgment they would undergo. But I also wonder whether or not at that point he's aware. He's aware that he is going to have to sacrifice himself because of this. If that isn't where some of the tears come from. Or what about... You know, that famously short verse, Jesus wept. You know, if you know your Bibles at all, you know it says that somewhere. But to remind us of the context of where it says Jesus wept. And we try and understand why. And you read the commentators and the people who think on this stuff. And they give you some idea about him, you know, looking at the, uh, at the destruction of death and sin and all of these things. But I got to asking this question. In light of that context, because if you follow that directly through, he weeps at at the grave of Lazarus. He raises Lazarus from death. The report goes out that he just raised Lazarus from death. Some people believe and others go back to the Sanhedrin and say, man, something's happening here. This guy just raised somebody who's been dead for four days. And the high priest says... You guys don't get it. As they're all trying to figure out what do we do. He says, you know, because, because of this, Rome is going to come and take away our place in our nation. This guy's really stirring things up, and Rome likes it peaceful. And so the high priest says, uh, because of him, or, or because of it, it's better that one man die than the entire nation come under the affliction of Rome. And so he basically just said, we need to kill him. So they start setting that up, even though he hadn't done anything wrong. They start setting that up and justifying that. John says the high priest prophesied not even realizing in his role as high priest what he was saying. But is that why Jesus wept? Because he knew this moment was in order to reveal God. That's earlier what he said to his disciples. And did he know that this was now going to put in motion a price on his head? And was that part, at least part, of what he wept for? Because somehow, somewhere along the line in his growth and understanding of the scriptures, these things became very, very personal. And he understood it was about him. And he went ahead and suffered (laughs) anyways. He suffered for those who nailed him to the tree. He suffered for a nation that rejected him. This is the magnificence of the one whom we worship week after week after week, who loved you and me and everyone sitting next to you enough that knowing they're not really on my side. <laughs> but I love them so much and I'm sent of the Father and I have an eternal purpose that is going to be fulfilled that he yield himself up. As he said, he could have called 10,000 angels to deliver himself, but he did not because he had come for that moment. And he willingly went through it. That's what we are going to reflect upon now as we come, uh, as we come to the table here.
those who are going to reflect upon what Jesus Christ has accomplished on our behalf. The invitation is this. If you understand what Christ has done, and you have received that, you have acknowledged that, yes, I need Christ and his work on the cross on my behalf, then we invite you to share these elements with us. If you have rejected that or don't understand it and haven't come to that place yet, then we invite you to think about what you're hearing. Let the elements pass. Not that we don't love you. It's not that we don't care about you. But this is an opportunity for those who personally grasp this to enter into a deep reflection on what he has done for us. And um, if today you recognize, hey, I, I have not come to this point Can I invite you right now? You're hearing this invitation right now. If you've never come to the point to say, yep, I understand what Christ did, and I understand I need it, and I have received it, if you've never come to that place, may I invite you to make today the day to acknowledge that, Lord Jesus, your cross is is what it's about. My sin is what separates me from God, and I ask you, to make your, effect, your death effective on my behalf by being my Savior. However you say it is fine, but this would be a wonderful day to place your faith in Jesus Christ. John says, to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God. It's just receiving a gift that is here for you. For those of us who have already received, may God just give us a time of, of good and quality reflection over what Christ has done on our behalf.